You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. So good to see you in worship. Can you believe Christmas is just around the corner? Gosh, it came up quick, but we are so excited. Um, We're continuing our series. We're studying the Gospel of Luke for one solid year. And so we're going to be on a journey. Our goal is to discover the real Jesus. And today we're going to look at the real Mary to discover the real Jesus. And there is a dramatic link. My topic this morning is very relevant to all of us, responding to God's call. And so last year at this time, Ellen and I were home. This is part of the West Wind Sabbath, and we're so appreciative that we get to go home again this Christmas to be with our moms. My mom's 84. Ellen's mom is 86. They've been widows for decades. And it's just wonderful to regroup with them and family. But we were home uh, last year, and we had a divine appointment. Out of the blue, we got a call from a family that we hadn't seen in decades. We'd known them from a ministry that we participated in when Ellen and I first became Christians as a bus ministry. And so fast forward, here's a mom giving us a call, say, hey, we heard you're pastoring in Iowa. One of our sons just uh, transitioned to Iowa State. We'd love to introduce Uh, him to you and Ellen. Would you be willing? Of course we'd be willing. And so they came over to Ellen's mom's house. We got to meet, anybody remember this guy? Kevin Ray, the man? And we got to meet Kevin, just a neat, neat kid. But Kevin's story was real interesting. He left home, uh, growing up in a Christian environment, in the church, declaring himself a Christian. But sadly, he got to the university environment and he started to party and he went all in. At a point in time, during his studies, he got mixed up with some folks, and his thinking began to change, and he declared himself an atheist. Can you imagine growing up in the church, being deeply rooted in the faith, and at a point in time, as a young adult, declaring yourself to be an atheist? And so, working with his family, and certainly his family was praying, he decided to leave the university that he was in and get a fresh start at Iowa State, Of course, uh, there's some good ministry up there, right? Anybody familiar with the SALT ministry? Well, Kevin got plugged into SALT, and that was very encouraging. However, he couldn't figure out church. He just didn't have a church home. And so uh, parents thought maybe, just maybe, uh, we could get connected and build a relationship with Kevin. Well, that did happen, and Kevin started attending West Wind Church. And friends, you welcomed Kevin with open arms And kudos to our young professional ministry, he felt at home with you guys. And so fast forward, Kevin started growing uh, to love the Lord again, to renew his faith. He got baptized here and said, you know what, it's time to go all in. After his baptism, Kevin and I began to meet and talk a little bit more about the future. He's graduating from Iowa State. He has a degree in mathematics, and he's just wondering, Lord, is this what you want me to do for my future? So we began discussing that, praying about it, interacting, and what God might be doing in Kevin's heart. Here's the thing. If you got to know Kevin Ray, he is a thinking man, and he loves books, 
And it seemed like God started to move in his heart to go into vocational ministry. Started to look into seminaries, started to apply at seminaries. He wound up at Liberty University. Kevin right now is studying at Liberty, working on a Master's of Divinity in Theology. We talked with Kevin this past weekend and just checking up with him, staying in touch. We're going to see him over Christmas break. We'll be home. He'll be home. And uh, he said, Pastor, I got to preach my first sermon recently. He said, we went to a small Bible church. There was 20 folks who put up with me for 45 minutes. And I said, Kevin, we are so thankful for what God is doing in your life. And as I look back on that year with Kevin, that's what it's been, it's been about a year, I saw something beautiful happen in his life. I saw him listen to God, hear God's voice, and respond uniquely to God's call. That's our topic this morning. And just like Kevin, each one of us has that privilege, even today, to refresh, to renew God's call in our life. We're going to unpack that through the life of Mary, and I hope you'll be encouraged. We've been practicing over the past uh, months uh, responsive readings. Thankfully, the passage worked out in a way that we could do that again this morning. So you have to follow instructions, okay? I'm going to read the non-bold text. You're going to read the bold text, and you will become the angel Gabriel. So let's stand. And we got a bunch of verses to read, but try to enter into the passage, playing off of last week, the angel Gabriel's visit to Zechariah, a senior citizen in the temple, serving and worshiping God. Now he shows up to a teenager named Mary. So, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, your part. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have not been intimate with a man, the angel replied to her. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's start with verse 26. 
Such a crucial concept in scripture. There is a beautiful pattern from Genesis to Revelation that God is calling people and we like Mary have the privilege to respond. So let's look back at the start of this passage. Luke writes, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Another God commissions the angel. We only have three names for specific angels in Scripture. One is Gabriel, the other is Michael, and then there's a sad one, Lucifer. Those are the only three names. It seems to me like Gabriel is the messenger, the spokesperson. God has a message uniquely for his people. He commissions Gabriel. And notice how specific Luke is. And you're going to see that throughout the whole gospel. He is a historian. We've talked about that. He is precise. He is accurate. He is detailed for reason. So the angel is sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now please notice, folks, that God is always the author and initiator of our divine callings. That is an absolute truism in Scripture. Consider for a moment just the first few chapters of Luke and even Matthew. In Luke chapter 1, you were here last week, hopefully, and you heard about Gabriel coming to a senior man worshiping God, doing ministry in the temple. And there's a unique call. Now he comes, Luke 1, to a teenager, Mary, and we're going to see how devout she is, not only today, but next week as we explore the Magnificat, and Mary becomes the first one to believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. And then Joseph struggling, who's betrothed to Mary, to embrace his divine calling and take Mary to be his wife, and what does God do? Matthew records, he sends another angel to help Joseph embrace his call. What a beautiful picture. Now my hope this morning is that not only will we consider these unique calls on individuals like Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, but we'll very much personalize God's unique call in each one of our lives this morning. And I promise you, according to Scripture, God has a unique call for you. He has a unique role for you. He has shaped you, if you're in Christ, for a kingdom assignment. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, there is a divine pattern in Scripture. And if you're taking notes, grab your Connect card. The divine pattern is this. God calls, and notice, we respond. He's the author, he's the initiator, we are the responders. Now please understand, not all responses are equal in Scripture and honorable. For instance, if you know the Old Testament, you may be familiar with God's call to a prophet named Jonah. Hey, Jonah, I want to bring good news to a city that's living in darkness. I want you to bring the light of the glorious gospel. I want Nineveh to know that they can come to know me, they can repent of their sins and be forgiven. Sadly, Jonah didn't have a heart for lost people. Instead of going the way he should go, east to Nineveh, he took off west to Tarshish. Well, God still worked hard to get Jonah to respond to the call, and he does something miraculous sends a whale. 
And the rest is history. Jonah does preach in Nineveh. Nineveh responds. I take that literally, folks. Why? Because Jesus took it literally. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days, guess what? The Son of Man's going to die, be buried, raised from the grave. He used Jonah as a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's literal. This isn't an allegory. This is history. Jump over to the New Testament. A wealthy man comes to Jesus one day, says, hey, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep, keep the law. I'm doing it. Really? And with eyes of fire, Revelation 1, Jesus sees his heart. He says, you have an idol that's really keeping you from your walk with God. Sell your possessions, give it to the poor and follow me. That was unique to that person. That's not a standard. That was unique. Do you remember how the individual responded to God's call? Let me show it to you. It's on the screen. And it's sad, folks. Gospel of Mark records. He was stunned at what Jesus said. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And again, it's sad. An idol kept him from knowing God, being forgiven, embracing a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and inheriting eternal life. Now, thankfully today, and I think you're going to be very encouraged, we come to a beautiful example, a beautiful model of how to respond to God's call. And so the blessing is this. Each one of us can embrace God's call in our life by responding like Mary. Mary is an example to follow and to walk in her footsteps. You know, sadly, Protestantism hasn't given a lot of time and attention to Mary, and that's starting to change right now. And there's some beautiful truths we can all learn. So, four responses this morning. Number one, Mary responds reflectively. And of all the four points this morning that I'm going to share, this is the one that transformed me this past week. It was so beautiful to enter into what was going on in Mary's heart through the text of Scripture. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 29. But she was deeply troubled by the statement that, you know, you're going to give birth by the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And here's the key word, wondering what kind of greeting this would be. Now, the word used for wondering is derived from the root word meaning dialogue. Don't miss this, folks, because this is the pattern for the whole Gospel of Luke as Mary unfolds her story. Mary has a continual dialogue with the Lord, with the Word, with the Spirit. You'll see later in Luke where she goes through these experiences, she treasures these things in her heart. That's the same concept. Various translations help us understand this idea of wondering. The ESV says, if you have that translation, Mary tried to discern. In other words, she's thinking deeply. She's trying to discern what is going on between heaven and earth. The RSV says, Mary considered in her mind. She's processing. She's thinking. She's taking this stuff to heart. The NASB 95 reads, Mary kept pondering. The term denotes an extended reflection and one that triggers a strong faith. So she had this dialogue with God, with the Word. There was an interaction. Although Mary is troubled by the angel's word, she does not run from God's call in her life. 
Mary remains an attentive listener to who? To God, to his word, to his spirit, and yes, to God's messenger, the angel Gabriel. I love this because we see later in the Magnificat next week, Mary goes back to the Old Testament a lot. She is deeply rooted in the word of God. And I believe this, Mary responds like Samuel did. If you're familiar with the story of Samuel, Hannah couldn't have a child. She's broken, she's being mocked, she's a disgrace in the Old Testament. She cries out to the Lord, Lord, please give me a son. God does the great work through Elkanah. She gets pregnant, gives birth to Hannah, or gives birth to Samuel. And then we see Samuel before the Lord in this beautiful statement, and I love it. Samuel says, speak, your servant is listening. I really believe Mary took her cues from Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant is wandering, your servant is pondering, your servant is attentive, your servant is listening. And so, the question for application for all of us here this morning, how do we become like Mary and reflect more Let the Lord speak. And can I give two suggestions today? I think the definition of the word really helps. But first, we really need to be willing and open and able to be, have our life interrupted. I don't know about you, but sometimes life gets so busy. We have our week mapped out. We're charting our course. And when we do that, folks, when our calendars and lives are so full, what happens? I really believe we have a hard time hearing from the Lord. You study the pattern in Scripture. When God calls, you know what he does? He's always interrupting someone's life. I heard a sermon many years ago on Mary, when God messes up your plans. That happens here to Mary. Everything changes. Her life was interrupted, but it's a great interruption. God comes with his divine sovereign plan for Mary. She listens, she engages, she dialogues, she's attentive, she's discerning, she's thinking through. You know, one of the things that I love about Westwind is this idea of abiding daily. From day one of Ellen and I coming to Westwind, we've heard that, we've championed that. Why abide daily? So we can slow down, so we can pause, so we can reflect so we could be attentive. Can I share with you one thing we're doing new on Sunday morning? You know, there's so much activity when you set up as a mobile church. And one of the things Nate and the pastoral staff has been working on is after everything's set up, all the rehearsals are done, about five to nine, five to nine, we, we gather here in the front and we just pause. We breathe and we look to the Lord. We draw near to him so he will draw near to us. We have a time of reflection, a time of closeness, of proximity, instead of going, 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 which is the American reality. So can I encourage you, if you're living life in the fast lane, slow down, abide daily, reflect more, let God speak, and then you'll hear his voice and you can respond. Now secondly, This is a suggestion. Pray for an attitude of receptivity. And why do I say that this morning? Because there is a refrain in the Old and New Testament. Please hear me. Hold on to this. 
book of Hebrews three times in chapters three and four says this. Today, if or when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you realize you can come even on Sunday morning with a hard heart? With a barrier between you and God? And it might be for sin issues. It might be for attitude issues. It might be just something. God says, when I speak, when you hear my voice, tenderize your heart. Have a teachable heart. Open your heart. Listen to me and respond. So let me ask you a question this morning. How's your heart? Is it teachable? Is it able to be transformed? Can you hear his voice? And can it get through the hard-heartedness sometimes of our heart? Folks, that's a gift. Mary was receptive. Speak, Samuel said. Your servant is listening. What does God want to say to you even this very morning, folks? This is a sacred hour. We're not playing church. We're not cultural Christians. We believe that God reveals, and he wants you to know as well and do it. Are you listening? Are you tender? Mary was. She reflected deeply on the word of the Lord. Secondly, Mary responds submissively. Upon hearing the message and God's call from Gabriel, Mary asks one question. Notice, how can this be since I'm a virgin? I've not been intimate with a man. Folks, please hear me. Don't miss this. Mary's question is absolutely legitimate. Would you agree? Oh my goodness, I'm going to get pregnant and yet I've not been intimate with a man. Joseph and Mary are betrothed right now. It's legally binding, but there was about a year's separation. He's getting the house ready, all this stuff. They were kind of courting, but there was no intimacy. So Mary's not like Zechariah. She's not doubting. She's just inquiring. She wanted and needed clarity. Can I encourage you? When God calls... Sometimes you and I need clarity. It has to be specific. And so the Lord speaks, the Lord responds. As you can imagine, Mary had many unanswered questions, yet after Gabriel explains the miracle to come, what does Mary do? Look at verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left. You know what I love? Mary's humble, submissive response literally came immediately. She does not ask more questions. She does not pursue the advice of others. She goes all in, and she says, I'm yours. And may, may Luke 138 be our mantra, may it be, Lord, according to your word. Now, the Gospel of Luke demonstrates this surrender became an ongoing lifestyle of Mary. Folks, please hear me. When you study the life of Mary, and there's a lot in Scripture, and it's a worthwhile study, but you'll see a gal who constantly had to submit and resubmit her life to the Lord. Let me paint a picture, if I may, just through the first few chapters of the gospel accounts. So just imagine, ladies especially, here you are, you're pregnant, living in Nazareth, and what happens? Caesar Augustus decrees, everybody has to go home to your birth uh, area. Why? There's gonna be a registration for taxation. 
Nazareth is 90 miles from Bethlehem. You're in your third trimester. You're pregnant. How would you like to maybe hop on a donkey and head down to, to Bethlehem? Gals, anybody want to participate? Quite a mission trip, right? Please hear me too. The ancient world of Israel didn't have roads like we know them today. This was rough terrain. This was hard. We're talking four to six days at best of travel. There's no Marriott Inns, right? There's, there's none of these hotels, three-star, four-star, five-star. She couldn't book anything on the way down, and she's pregnant. Now, you get to Bethlehem, and God works. They're honored by three magi. The shepherds have a revelation from an angel, but then Joseph hears, guess what? King Herod wants to kill who? Your baby. Get out of Bethlehem and go where? Let me show you the map. Go to Egypt. Folks, this is for real. Probably four to 500 mile journey. I drove on a bus from Jerusalem to Egypt. I remember the roads. Difficult to traverse. This is desert. This is hot. Who does she know? Who do they know in Egypt? Where did they get the resources? How did they survive? They were displaced. And they're there as fugitives with a brand new baby. This is tough stuff that she's submitting to. Now, Herod dies, 4 BC, we know that from history. We leave Egypt and go back up to Nazareth, about 500 miles. Folks, one submission after another. And if you still don't capture it, let me paint a picture of the ultimate submission. Mary was there when Jesus hung on the cross at Calvary. And she heard these beautiful words, and yet words of, that broke her heart, I'm sure. When Jesus from the cross said, John, behold your mom. Mom, behold your son. The ultimate act of submission was relinquishing her son to Calvary to be the sacrifice and savior of the world. That's what Mary was called to. And so I would suggest this. The biblical record demonstrates that God's call is very dynamic and never static. For the next three decades, Mary will continuously surrender herself to tough callings raising the Son of God and relinquishing him to Calvary. One of the aha moments for me this past week in study was this. Mary's calling is both a blessing and a testing. And I think that is an absolute pattern in Scripture. When God calls you, it is a blessing, but there is always a testing. And that makes it hard. Mary's calling is one of privilege and pain. Surrendering all allowed Mary to face hardship, displacement, and suffering, and ultimately relinquishing her son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. Now, I'm wondering if some of you may be struggling to relate to Mary. Your calling in life seems much less dramatic, much less significant or meaningful. Well, let me encourage you, it is not. Your calling is as important and as significant as Mary's is. Why? Because God calls uniquely. And here's what I'd like to suggest this morning. 
that like Mary and like individuals like Abram, Moses, Samuel, and, and the great names that, that seem to get raised up in Scripture, we are also called to what I would call a kingdom assignment. God has a unique assignment for each and every one of us here this morning, just like Kevin Ray is exploring right now. So he has that for you. Now, although most of us will not be visited by an angel or get swallowed by a whale or have a burning bush talk to us, every one of us can discover and live out their kingdom assignment. And when you do, and you learn to live to be generous with your time, your treasure, your talent, and touch, when you live that kingdom assignment, one day Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant, just like he'll say to Mary, just like he'll say to Samuel. To help you understand this kingdom assignment thing, my wife and I talked much about this uh, journey of kingdom assignment, so Ellen's going to share a little bit of a story uh, with you this morning. So come on up here. You got a microphone? No. No, you don't. There you go. Um, well, for as long as I can remember as a Christian, for as long as I can remember as a Christian, um, I struggled with having a desire to go on any overseas mission trips. Um, part of it was I just felt intimidated going to a place where... Uh, you know, the culture was different. I didn't speak the language. Um, and just, it was more challenging often in just where you would stay and how you'd live and, or how you, you know, just the conditions of it. And the um, thing is, I married a man who loves overseas missions. He's passionate about it. He thrives in it. And for many years, as we were married, um, I would support him, I'd say, go, you know, on these mission trips, and I would stay back. I felt called to be with our kids and, and support the trip that way and, and pray for them. But to be honest, um, I gladly would send him on the mission trips, and I would gladly stay back um, with my kids and with, um, you know, support in any way stateside because that was my comfort zone. That was where I felt safe. And um, about four years ago, uh, we were meeting with a missionary, uh, Reverend Yesu. He's from India, and we were sitting, and he would invite us every time we'd see him to go to India. And so Keith and I were meeting with him, and uh, he was sharing and asking us again, come and see the ministry. Uh, one of the things he did was he, he wanted, he needed teachers um, for teaching the pastors. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, we need also people to teach the women. You see, the women are hungry for the word of God and they don't have it. And the women um, are often the ones who come to know the Lord first in India and have a great influence on the family. And as he shared that, I felt the Lord tugging at my heart. And then he looked at me and he said, this year we want to do, we want to start something new and have a women's conference. And we believe the women will come. And he said, we want to teach on the book of Esther. Well, at that moment, I knew the Lord was calling me. Because 
I had been studying the book of Esther for that past year. I was immersed in it. And there was a passion about this book. And so I knew it was as if God was saying, Ellen, I've been preparing you to go. Now get out of your comfort zone and go. And so I knew at that moment that was a kingdom assignment. God wanted me to go. Now, to be honest, <laughs> I wish I could say that the fear went away when I went, but it didn't. You know, I still went in fear and in trepidation, but I sensed also his peace and his presence, and I'm so thankful that I went. Thank you, honey. So check out this picture. It's like my favorite picture for Ellen. They made her this homemade sari. It's just beautiful. I'm the only guy sitting there on the floor, about a thousand women, and I'm looking at Ellen teach on the book of Esther thinking, long live the queen. <laughs> that was just a beautiful moment, just a beautiful moment. But friends, that's how it works. We're, we're just real with you this morning. Ellen was happy to send me and stay back. Comfort zone, right? Fear. And then God calls, and he got so specific. So the question even this morning is, you're shaped for ministry. Have you found your kingdom assignment? Now, secondly, I want to remind all of us that our ultimate and greatest calling is this. It's found in 1 Thessalonians. For this is God's will, your sanctification. And what that simply means is, all of us have, I believe, a unique kingdom assignment but all of us are called to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, to be holy as God is holy. So the question even this morning is, how is your sanctification process going? When God speaks, is your heart tender? Do you listen and lean in? When it's time to forgive or to say I'm sorry, when you have opportunity to go all in and be generous with your time, treasure, talent, and touch, do you say yes? When ministry knocks, when we have opportunities with children, youth, and so forth, do you say, Lord, can you use me there? Do you want to be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use this morning? That's what God is asking. So find that kingdom assignment, and boy, be conformed to the image of Christ. Those are two absolutes. Now, response number three, and we got to move. Mary responds courageously. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the town and gallery called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this would be. Now look at verse 37, because I think it's important. There's this dialogue, and the angel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, folks, please hear me. Mary's miraculous conception may not be impossible for God, but in the first century, culture of Judaism, it will virtually be impossible for everyone else. Let me unpack that briefly. Let me show you a picture here. I get saddened a little bit as to how we have sensationalized Mary through art and church tradition. I'm not opposed to how she is uh, represented there with kind of the halo and, and something so grandiose and and boy, it, this image just looks perfect. Guess what? It's the most imperfect image in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. You know why? Mary is more like this 
peasant Bedouin, 13 to 15 year old girl who lives in nowhere Nazareth, about a town of 100 to 200, no name, no place, nothing going for. God shows up and says, Mary, you're favored. I've chosen you. Yes, you're poor. Yes, you're living in peasantry, but you're going to bring forth the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know what goes on here, folks? You want to talk about the courage of a teenage girl? Can you imagine, parents, hear me out, can you imagine your 14-year-old daughter coming home? Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, can we talk? Just want you to know I'm pregnant. How would that go down, Mom and Dad? And by the way, just so you know, it's divine. It's supernatural. The Holy Spirit's going to do something. How do you think mom and dad responded? Folks, this is real stuff. There's tension in the home. Now, let's go to Joseph. They're betrothed to be married, one-year betrothal, kind of like our courtship, but it's legally binding. He is known as a righteous man in the ancient world, a sadiq. He kept the law of Moses. He kept Torah. He kept kosher. Everything about Joseph's identity is tied to his righteousness. Guess what? His girl's pregnant. You know what the Bible says? Joseph, because he's a righteous man, was going to divorce her privately. He didn't believe it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit impregnated you? Now, if you think that's not hard enough, Mary's three months with Elizabeth and then comes back to Nazareth. And she starts as a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl to show forth she's pregnant. You know how fast the rumor mill works in villages like that? Wow. Hmm. What's going on with Mary? She was labeled instantaneously an adulteress. Mary was stained for life. Her reputation was thrown out the door. And yet she says, Lord, count me in. I'm all in. And so here's the thing. When you think about the courage it takes to respond to God's call, to lean in and say yes, to do the difficult thing, to accept God's tough calling, look to Mary. Because in essence, she lost everything. She was willing to lose Joseph. Fortunately, an angel intervened. Joseph took her as his wife and nurtured Jesus. But that takes courage. And so finally, as we tie it all together, response number four, respond worshipfully. And we're going to look into this next week. It's called the Magnificat. But look what goes on here. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. I think the natural response for Mary was worship. And folks, we're going to see next week that she was already a worshiper and it just overflowed. As she embraced God's call, as she said yes to her heart assignment, her kingdom assignment, there was an overflowing of worship. It's called the Magnificat. My soul magnifies you. My soul rejoices. My soul praises you. From the innermost being, I declare your glory. Here's what I've learned over the years. The best workers are first worshipers. When you worship God, it's easy to work. When you're a worshiper, it's easy to respond to his call. 
when you have that abide daily, those quiet times, when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, when you're a worshiper and God shows up and speaks, yes, count me in, I'm the Lord's servant. And so let me sum it all up by saying this. Because God desires to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways, he called Mary and chose to use a nobody to tell everybody about somebody, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That's Mary's story. A nobody gets to tell everybody about somebody, and his name is Jesus. That's the privilege you and I have, folks, when we respond favorably to God's call. Are you responding? We have a song this morning that ties it all together. I invite you to stand. I invite you to sing this to the Lord. I invite you to think about your kingdom assignments. I invite you to think about your sanctification in Christ, becoming more like Jesus, and seeing even today if God is calling you to something specific, something unique, a way to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's sing together.